Good morning, everyone. Again, welcome to church this morning. We are so glad you're here joining us from wherever you may be. My name is Jordan, and I'm part of the team here at Faith, and I have the honor this morning of sharing with you from God's Word, and we're in this three-week, or we're in the third week of a series called the Summer Single Servant no, Summer Single Serving Sermon Series, uh, which is just a very complicated way of saying a bunch of one-off sermons that don't necessarily all go together, but really they do have a lot in common because they're all rooted in the Word of God. And I believe that the Word of God, the Bible, has so much truth and so much goodness and so much wisdom in it. How can we not look to it as we live our lives whether we are in seasons of joy or sorrow or excitement or the mundane of mundaneness of life, wherever we may be in our journey, uh, look to the word of God. There's just so much truth that we can glean off of. And when our circumstances are constantly changing, we have a constant God and a constant word that we can glean off of. So that's what we're going to do today. We are going to look to the word of God and I must admit, getting into the Word of God is not always my first thought. It's not always my first line of defense when things get tricky in life. You know, when you get overwhelmed and you're not exactly sure what to do or how to move forward. I must admit, reading the Bible is not always my first thought. And I have a couple of uh, little tactics I use, perhaps a little bit unhealthy sometimes, that I use when I'm just overwhelmed. I can't sort out my thoughts. I don't know whether I'm coming or going. And I have a couple of things that I do to kind of help sort myself out. And I've talked about a couple of these before um, at Evensong and at Faith, but my first line of defense when I'm feeling overwhelmed is I go to Shoppers Drug Mart. <laughs> and, you know, it's kind of an odd thing to do, but I grew up in New Brunswick, and when I was in high school and going into university, I worked at Shoppers Drug Mart. And then even as a little kid, I'd always go to Shoppers with my parents, and I just find it very calming and relaxing. It's, it's where I grew up. It's where I learned a lot of things. I learned how to be professional. I learned how to interact with people at Shoppers, and I worked there through many seasons of my life. So whenever I go to Shoppers, I kind of feel at home. I feel steady. I feel stable. And Luckily, all the shoppers all across Canada have the same layout, so I can go into shoppers and pretend I'm anywhere in Canada, and I can feel at home. <laughs> so if you ever see me around shoppers with my, my shopping basket just moseying all around, you can assume there's something going on up here. I'm straightening things out. <laughs> if that doesn't work, when I go to shoppers, my next line of defense is go to my good friend's backyard. I call them up. I'm like, I need to chat. I need to get together. Let's get together. And I head to their backyard. We order a bunch of food and we either talk about it or we don't talk about it at all. And they're there to kind of impart me with uh, some wisdom. They're caring and they kind of help remind me of who I am, of who God is, of what I'm called to do. They remind me that there's a bigger picture in life than the circumstances in front of me. And, you know, they kind of help stir my affections towards the Lord. So that's my next line of defense when I'm feeling overwhelmed or don't really know what I'm doing. Sometimes that even doesn't work. So when that doesn't work, my next step is I go home to New Brunswick. I have lived in Halifax for almost 10 years, but I spent the first 20 years of my life in Quispamsis, New Brunswick. I love it. It's home. And so sometimes when life just gets a little bit too much, I hop in the car and I head home to New Brunswick, and I usually find myself at the kitchen table at my grandparents' house, sipping a cup of tea with whatever cousins might be around that week, and kind of just get myself all sorted, get recentered. So I hit shoppers first, then I go to my best friend's backyard, then I go to New Brunswick. And most recently, when I found myself in a bit of a life pickle, <laughs> those three things didn't work. So I went to a close friend and confidant, and I was like, you know, I'm frazzled, 
I can't figure out how to get through this. I'm like kind of trying to sort myself out. I can't hear God on this. What should I do here? And I asked him, I was like, what do you do when you're feeling that way? And he said, well, that's, that's simple. I sit at the piano. Cool, cool, cool. That would be helpful if I had any musical bone in my body whatsoever, but I don't. So I was like, okay, that's great advice, but thank you, next, I need some more. <laughs> but he said, no, 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 no. I, I sit at the piano and, you know, I, I sit there and I start to play hymns and I start to sing to the Lord and I start to uh, stir my affections towards the Lord. I just remind myself of who he is, his faithfulness and what he has done. And, and remind, it reminds me of who I am in him. And I just sit there and I ask him to speak to me and I speak to him. And I just, I sit at the piano, remind myself of the goodness of God, and I just get alone with him. He, what he was saying was, you need to find yourself a piano. You need to find yourself a space where you sit and it's just you and the Lord. You can cut the noise, cut the distractions, and focus in on him. You need to find a way to retreat away with Jesus. You know, we see Jesus demonstrating this all the time in the Gospels. You know, after an incredible day of ministry and healing, the Bible says, Jesus went off to a solitary place and got alone with the Lord. You know, very early in the morning before his ministry days or at the end of a big day, he would get alone in a secret, in a quiet place with the Father. You know, upon hearing good news, bad news, once he heard that his, one of his good friends and confidants, that he had died, he got away in a private place with the Lord. Constantly, we're seeing Jesus drawing away in a secret, quiet place. I especially noticed Jesus' alone time moments with the Father in the book of Mark. You know, Mark, I love the book of Mark. It's almost like he's in a hurry to tell the gospel. He's a, it's a hurried version of the death, the resurrection, and the life of Jesus. Um, you know, it's in comparison to the other gospels, you can read it pretty quickly. And in, in my head, it's kind of like a, this is the what you really need to know version of the gospel. You know, if you're looking for the highlight reel and you're not really looking for the whole encyclopedia of the gospel, Mark is a good book to read. So even in, in, in the book of Mark, when Mark is retelling the story of Jesus and he's kind of spewing out all the important details, he is sure to give us glimpses of Jesus' kind of piano moments with the Father. You know, it's like he's highlighting, this is important. I'm only giving you the important stuff. And I'm highlighting that Jesus retreated away with the Father. So take note. He says, like, see all these wonders and these crazy things that Jesus is a part of, the miracles, the healings, the wisdom, the death, the resurrection, the life. All of that is fueled by this. It's fueled. Jesus can go forward and do those things because he has those moments alone with the Father. You know, he withdrew from daily activities, big moments, small moments, and, and good moments, bad moments, tough moments. He always withdrew and took some time with the Lord, investing time with the Father. And when we talk about retreating with the Lord, there's this dangerous line that we walk sometimes uh, of treating it kind of like a time log. You know, sometimes we treat life like, um, you know, we're running from the fuel we get of those moments alone with Jesus. And then we're, we just run, run, run until we're running on fumes until we can get to that next moment where we can schedule enough time with Jesus to just get refueled and, and recharged. So we got to be careful not to treat it like a log of time. You know, I do this really silly thing um, where I go through spurts where I, <laughs> I probably shouldn't admit this, but I kind of log hours with friends. I, I, in my, if, you, if you grabbed my phone and you looked through the notes section, you'd find a bunch of notes with dates and people's names and how many hours I spent with them. It's a very odd thing that I do, and all my closest friends know that I do it, and they just let me be the odd duck that I am and go ahead and do it. But 
I don't do it because I'm like, oh, sweet. I put two hours in with them. I don't have to see them again for another month or two. But I do it because I just get excited. I'm like, oh, my friends are investing this time in me, and I get to invest this time in them. And this is where we really get to know each other and enjoy each other. So sometimes if it's like more than a couple hours, I'm like super pumped that I'm spending that much time with people that I love. Uh, in quarantine, like many of you, I downloaded kind of all the party game apps and all the Zoom and the Skype and the Facebook and all the things that we could do just to gather together with people from our own homes. So a couple of nights a week, I would make sure I'd connect with some people, friends, family on Skype or on Zoom. Skype, that's, that's so old, Zoom. <laughs> but I would connect with them. Um, just for a couple hours in the evening or just a quick amount of time. There was one time, though, that I gathered together with a small group of friends, and we were just on Zoom. We played some games. We were just chatting, and we were just really enjoying each other's company. And one hour led to two hours, three to four to five, and we were on this just very long, very long Zoom call together. And it was getting, it was like early in the morning. It was like 1.45 a.m. and we were still together and it was just kind of silly at this point. No one was making any sense, but we were enjoying each other's company. But we were like, no, like we got to call this. It was 1.45. We were five hours and 45 minutes in. And then one of my friends from the top corner of the Zoom call, he, he kind of shouted, no, 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 wait, wait. We're at five hours and 45 minutes. Let's wait 15 minutes more so Jordan can log six hours in her time log. <laughs> and I thought, oh, my heart, little freebie piece of advice here. Get friends who appreciate and support your quirks. <laughs> but absolutely, you know, invest one-on-one -on -one time with the Lord. Count the hours if it's important to you, like it's important to me. But we need to be sure that we're not treating God like a gas station where we go and we fuel up and then circle back when we need more. When we were talking about this single sermon series, uh, we realized uh, we were talking about what everyone kind of wanted to speak about, and we realized a lot of the sermons started with the word R. And I was kind of like thinking about what I wanted to speak on, and I was talking about those moments in the piano, and I kind of reached for a word, and I was like, okay, retreat will work. Maybe my sermon will be called retreat. But as I sat down and, you know, began to kind of like ready myself to prepare this sermon and, and I was praying and I was writing, I realized, I started thinking about it. I was like, yeah, for sure, retreat, get alone with God, have those secret, quiet place moments with him. We need to do that, absolutely. We need to fill ourselves up with the goodness and the grace of God. We need to exalt him for who he is in those private moments with him. But retreating only goes so far. If it's done as our primary source of refreshing and connection with God, it won't sustain. Where we are satisfied, where we are grown, where we are challenged, and where we are refreshed is actually when we remain in him. And I consider it the Lord's grace. Let the word remain also starts with R. <laughs> Got to keep it pretty. <laughs> but it's when we remain in him that we're able to push forward to what God has called us to do. And then when Jesus was actually retreating with him, he was actually demonstrating remaining in the Lord. When we remain in the Lord, we are able to do what is set before us. The main passage I want to speak from today is John 15, 1, where, we, where uh, Jesus talks about he is the vine and we are to remain in him. And I'll give you a little bit of context after I read it through, but I'm just going to read John 15, 1 to 11. It says, I am the vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are, you are already clean because of the word 
which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you cannot do anything. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My father is glorified in this, that you may bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. So last year at Evensong, we did a sermon series on Jesus' I am statements. So in the New Testament, there's seven statements that Jesus makes that just really kind of demonstrate who he is. He kind of puts it in plain and simple. I am this. And the book of John recounts these seven I am statements. And it's, Jesus gives them right before his crucifixion. And I like to think of it kind of these seven statements of like these kind of last minute, like, I want to make sure you get this before I leave here statements from Jesus. And just to give a little bit of context, this is Jesus talking to his disciples, um, just like I said, just before he was crucified. And we can all kind of draw conclusions through this vine imagery. We all kind of understand a little bit about life and ecology, that you need to stay connected to the vine. Um, you know, stay connected to the vine, the, the root system, that's where you will gain your nourishment. But Jesus, using this imagery in this time, in this context, was actually loaded with impact. Because in the Old Testament, before Jesus came, a reference to the vine, this vine imagery was referring to Israel, the people of God. And so you're thinking, okay, cool. Why does that matter for me today? It matters because the old, in the Old Testament, this reference to the vine, it was most negatively used. It was always accompanied with a declaration that, there would, that, that the vine would not bear fruit. You know, a reference to the vine in the Old Testament was often accompanied by kind of God's pronouncement of judgment on Israel. So when he refers to the vine here in the New Testament, it's, it's very profound because what he's doing is he's kind of turning things around for his followers. He says, you know, I am the true vine. You know, by yourselves, you have not been able to be, do what you're called to do. By yourselves, you have not been able to bear fruit. You can't do this by yourselves. But then he says, I am the true vine. I am doing what you cannot do. I am being what you cannot be. You know, to me, it's like a declaration of Jesus saying, like, I got this. I got you. You've been trying to do this on your own, but now you don't have to. Stay connected to me, and I got this. You aren't the true vine. I am. I will make it possible for you to bear fruit that you haven't been able to. This was a powerful statement then, and it's a powerful statement for us today. You know, we can understand what happens when a branch is no longer connected to the vine and a tree. You know, we, we have... At some point, we all have this basic understanding of, the, you know, a seed is planted, it germinates, and all the sources of growth come from the ground, and it pulls on all of the resources and nutrients it needs from the ground and sends it up. Nutrients go through the branches, then the buds form, then the fruit is grown. So we get that. So why is it important for us to stay connected? Because if we're connected to the life source, we can bear fruit. And Paul talks about uh, what this fruit is that we can bear in our lives. And it helps us move forward in what we are called to do. And we find that in Galatians 5, to 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
you know, bearing fruit, love, you know, loving your enemies, being able to turn the other cheek, showing Christ's love to people. Joy, finding, finding true joy is deeper than happiness. Happiness is based on circumstance. Joy is from within. When we are connected to the vine, we find peace, peace that surpasses all understanding. We find kindness, not just kind of this being nice on the surface, but true, a truly genuinely kind spirit comes from being connected to the vine. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I am most definitely not nailing all of these, and I don't think anyone um, can say they are perfectly doing these areas, but, you know, we're all not where we want to be. But if we stay connected to the source, we grow in these areas. So when we're staying connected and we're bearing fruit, what does that mean for our lives? There's a couple of things that happen, and I'm telling you, you go home and read this passage in John 15, there's so much just truth and goodness that you can you can glean off of that passage from. I'm just going to pick a couple of little pieces in our remaining minutes we have together today. But one thing I want to pull out from this passage is when we stay connected to the vine and we begin to bear fruit, one thing that happens is pruning. So right at the beginning, John 15, 1, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch is in Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. Like I said, we all have a little bit of work to do. I admittedly do for sure. But, you know, God with his, his kindness and his goodness, he prunes us so that we might grow in these areas. You know, Jesus says, again, I am what you could not be, but I will grow you into who I am if you stay connected to me. You know, he says, I am all the fruit perfected and I will help you get there. And the pruning is part of getting there. It's, it's encouraging because, you know, if, if you're in a season of pruning, you know, it means, you know, you've got some of these fruits. You've got the, the starts of these fruits. But he's like, I'm going to prune you to keep you healthy so you can grow more. The unfortunate part is oftentimes that these seasons of pruning, they kind of come as a season of hardship or of, or of doubt or of struggle, trials. But those seasons, you know, they're the seasons that you'd rather do without, but you can look on in retrospect and say, oh, I see what you were doing there, God. So when we're connected and we're bearing fruit, can we embrace these seasons of pruning, knowing that we will bear much fruit on the other side? You'll get through the pruning if you stay connected to the vine. Secondly, if we're connected to the vine and bearing fruit, there's pruning, but we also can, we know what we're stepping into the presence of God. There's presence. Uh, verse three, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. So when we stay connected, you know, we can expect pruning and we can expect the presence of God. I heard someone one time refer to God as a kitchen stool. And <laughs> I'll explain that a little bit, but track with me for a minute. But you know, did you, whenever you were growing up, did you have that formal dining room in your house? The one, you know, if someone was in there, they were immediately taken out because no one is supposed to go in the formal dining room. You know, the china is in there to look at, but you dare not touch it. Like when you got home from school at the end of the day, you would not put your book bag on the dining room table because that was just for looking. That was for admiring. That was for special occasions. It was not for engaging with, just looking. You know, how dare someone try to live life in the formal dining room? But I think sometimes we treat God like he is the formal dining room. And I think, you know, it's not that like we set out to do it, but I get why we do do it. It makes sense because, you know, God is so good. He is so majestic. He is so big. It only seems natural to respect and admire and honor, but from afar. You kind of look at how beautiful it is. 
we don't live with him, we don't live in him, we tend to close him off. But this passage is clear. Abide in him, remain in him. He's not the formal dining table. He's the stool at the kitchen at the island, the one you come home from school and you, you take your backpack off and you just dump your stuff and you unload your day from the kitchen stool. He's in every day, any time, constantly needed and constantly available God. We are invited to abide in him. We are invited into his presence. We can find satisfaction in him and not just admire him from afar. And the great thing is we can do all of that because Christ loved us first. We are clean and covered because of what he had already done. And we have access to God through Jesus' work on the cross. We don't have to do anything to gain that presence. He invited us to come abide in him and find joy in there. We are welcome to intimacy with Christ and, and we can be delighted in that. And we don't have to earn it and we don't have to run from it even when we mess up. You know, to understand our position in the presence of God, to abide in him, to accept the love he freely, undeservingly gave to us, we know in Christ we don't have to avoid him, but we can run to him regardless of what we're guilty of. It's an open door, the good, the bad, the ugly. When we understand what Jesus is saying, when he says, I am the vine and you can abide in me, he says, I will do what you cannot do, and you will realize you can always run to him and not from him. So when we are connected to the vine, bearing fruit, there's going to be pruning. There's certainly going to be the presence of God. And then there's going to be power. Verse eight says, my father is glorified by this, that you may bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. Just as the father has loved me and I have loved you, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Abiding in Christ comes first. Don't get it backwards. Remember, you don't earn God's presence by keeping his commands, but we're, you know, we're called to work on and grow in our love for Jesus, and that will affect our, our obedience to him, that we might grow in love, and that strengthens our obedience. We grow to love the things that he loves, loves to do the things that he would love us to do. There's power in the presence of God. By his spirit, when we are in that presence, we are empowered to do what we are called to do, to be who we are called to be, to be able to work through those overwhelming moments because we have a realization of what we are in the bigger picture. You know, we need those, we need those retreating moments, but when we abide in him continually, we bear fruit, the fruit that we need to go and make disciples, to go and share the love of Christ, live a purposeful life on earth as we long for the next. Great. So how do we do that? How do we abide in him? You know, we fill our lives with things that stir our affections to Jesus and take away anything that robs us of those affections. You know, spend some time paying attention to what stirs your affections for Christ. You know, there's, there's some staple items that we can do. And like, it involves the classic answer, of course, is read the word of God. The word of God, it's God breathed. It's God's words to us. Read those. Read that truth, that foundation. What is God speaking to you? His spirit is speaking today. As you read that, it can speak to you about what that means. Spend time in the word of God. Spend time in prayer. We are so blessed to have a relationship with Jesus. We can go to him with our needs, wants, desires. We can ask him to speak to us. What would he have for us? We can have an open conversation. Go to him in prayer. 
find community, you know, staying connected to others or serving, you know, serving something that's outside of ourselves, something greater than ourselves. There's three staple ways to stay connected, stay abiding in him day to day, moment to moment. Read the word of God, go to him in prayer, find community of people who love the Lord will steal your affections towards him. But other than that, we're kind of all over the place. You know, those are the foundation, but there's so much more for each individual. You know, the Lord has created us, created us all so beautifully different. You know, maybe for you, it's like my friend and you, you sit at the piano and that's where you are, feel the most close and intimate with God. You know, um, conversations with close friends who love the Lord about life, love, the world, the Lord. Maybe that stirs your affections towards Jesus, you know. Um, having, going on little adventures. We live in a beautiful province. If you're watching from Nova Scotia or the Maritimes, wherever you are, I'm sure you can find beauty in God's creation wherever you are. Maybe that stirs your affections towards him. So find your piano. And there are other things that we need to make note if they're robbing us of those affections. And maybe we need to kind of put those to the wayside and not spend so much time investing in those, but investing in the Lord. We need to pay close attention to our hearts and work at growing our capacity to love the Lord because that's ultimately what empowers us and fuels us in obedience. And that's what he calls us to do and to be. And that is good. So that's, that's pretty much all I have for you today. But being connected to the vine, I just want to remind you, you can expect some pruning. You can expect God's presence. And you can expect power to love others. And all this hinges on Jesus being the vine, the source, being what we could not be, doing what we could not do, and accomplishing what we never could. He says, I am the vine. I am the true vine. Stay connected to me. With me, you can, you can see these things through. Stay connected. Remain in me. Absolutely. Let's retreat together as we go along. But the real glory comes when we remain in him moment to moment, day to day, week to week. If we are to be sustained, inspired, empowered, and equipped, we need to recognize the significance in remaining and not just retreating when we need it, but remaining in his love. And that is my prayer for you this morning. We're going to go back into worship and I encourage you to take this time to Begin to stir your affections towards Jesus, even right where you are watching from your home. Maybe this is that, that piano moment for you that's going to kind of inspire you to have these moments continually, day to day. Let me pray for you. So God, we, we thank you that you are a God who is fully engaged in our world and you invite us into your presence, God. Thank you for welcoming us to come abide in you and, and us in you, God. Uh, we just thank you that you are a relational God, that you come into each moment in our lives and the good, the bad, the ugly, God. And I just pray that we would just go from here recognizing to remain in your love means we don't have to do the work because you've already done it. We couldn't figure it out, so you came in and you gave us you, you extended an arm and said, here, I got this for you, God. So we thank you for that. And we honor you and we love you this morning, God. We thank you that we can grow the fruit of goodness and faithfulness and love and joy and peace and patience. We thank you that we have access to those, God. So God, in these next few moments, as we walk back into worship, God, I pray that you would just speak to us, stir our affections towards you, God, as we lift your name up in worship and praise. We love you, Lord. Amen.